You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Matthew 6, verse 25. We're going to read down through verse 34. Christ, in continuing to preach through the Sermon on the Mount, says these words. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thanks be to God for his word in the reading of it. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. My name is Brian Gurney. I am one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, man, it's a joy to be able to open up God's word before you. Um, if you're following along very closely, we've been going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember last week, we were actually in chapter 7, but we're just doing a little bit of uh, double back in because of some snow. This got pushed a month. So let's just hope that that extra month of my prep is good for you. Amen. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me pray for us and then we'll jump into God's word. Father, I thank you for your graciousness in gathering us here today. Lord, I thank you that uh, Lord, we, can, we can sing these songs um, proclaiming these truths about you, singing them to uh, you, but also we're encouraged, Lord, in your word, it says that when we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, we're encouraging and admonishing one another in that. And so, Father, I thank you that the fullness of our collective voice this morning was encouraging to us. I pray, Lord, it was a sweet aroma to you. God, I thank you that this is the day you have made, that you have gathered us here to expound your word, to understand it, and ultimately to know you. Uh, it's not enough for us to just know the words. We, that you would speak through me, Lord, uh, in some small way at least. Please, uh, Father, use uh, uh, these words. Um, I pray, Lord, if there's anything that's not of you, just snatch it away. Uh, Lord, I, I just humbly come before you and, and ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would encourage us, would convict us, would fill us. Lord, um, the scriptures speak a lot to this idea of anxiety. 
And in Philippians chapter four, it says that when we submit our requests to you, that you provide a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so Lord, I pray right now you would give that peace. Lord, fulfill your end of the bargain. Lord, fulfill your promise before us, we ask, in giving us your peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's a joy to be able to be with you uh, talking about anxiety um, because I think it's something that we all need to hear about. No doubt all of us have felt anxiety at some point or another. In fact, I think it's a familiar emotion and let me prove it to you. I think I can give you a little bit of anxiety with a story. Uh, They always say in preaching, you're supposed to connect with people's emotions. I don't think they meant fear, but let's see. So like six years ago, Chelsea and I, my wife, been married for about two years. And we decided we needed a little getaway. We needed some time to spend together to connect. You know what I'm talking about. So we went up to an Airbnb right off of the Chesapeake Bay, uh, which is, if you're familiar with it, if you can imagine, we found this little Airbnb. It's looking out on the water. It was gorgeous. Such an awesome little find. Had a little pier going out on the water. The Chesapeake Bay, at that place at least, is huge. I mean, it doesn't just look like this little bit of water. It's like a big old thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a sea, right? And so you're, you're sitting on this pier and you're looking off at what you know to be the Chesapeake Bay, but this uh, location is that standing on that pier, you, it was just beautiful. Like we saw the sunset in the evening. We were able to just enjoy the time together. And one of the things I distinctly remember is while we're sitting on that pier, watching the sun go down and the stars come up, looking down below the pier, I see some fins swimming you know, like this, not like this. This is dolphins, right? We know what this is. This is Discovery Channel stuff. So I look down and I see the sharks swimming around. And of course, like initially you're, you're like kind of, kind of excited, right? You're a little curious. Like I've never really, you know, we're East Coast. I've never experienced sharks swimming underneath a pier with me. So we're sort of like, okay, what can we do to sort of like, you know, get them to do some stuff and come to the surface? We want to see them. I don't know how big these sharks are. I know nothing about sharks. I know nothing about fish. Are they fish? We don't know. I don't think anyone's figured it out. But we're looking down at these, what seem to be rather sizable sharks. Now in that moment, I think what we were feeling was a bit of like excitement, a bit of like, oh, this is a cool spot. Like we found an Airbnb, has a pier, looking out on this beautiful big body of water and there's some sharks swimming under us. How dope is that? (laughs) Well, that was that. We decided, okay, well, they have nothing else for us. So we went to bed, wake up the next morning, have a great breakfast, somewhere around like 10, 30, 11. We find out that the Airbnb host has graciously provided us with some kayaks. And so we think, oh, what a perfect uh, thing to add on to that great night is get in some kayaks. So they have two kayaks. They are single man kayaks. And if you're familiar, you do this whole deal with the, with the oar, right? That's what, that's what it's called. Uh, so we get in the kayaks and we start out into this big ocean that is the Chesapeake Bay. And we think certainly this is safe as it gets. Like we are really close to the shore. It's just the bay. Like worst thing that happens is I fall in and I come up with a third eye, right? Like that's the worst thing about the Chesapeake Bay. So we're, we're kind of hugging the coast a little bit. And I'm in front of Chelsea and Chelsea is behind me and we are going and we are getting our exercise in. We're enjoying the view, all of that. It's a you know, beautiful, crisp, maybe a couple miles. I'm not sure exactly. I turn back around because I sense that, hey, you know, we might want to turn back. I don't know if I've even the... Uh, 
energy to even get back at this point. So I look back at my wife, and I just see a familiar scene. Instead of a pier, though, it's sharks swimming around Chelsea. She is in her little kayak, and she is loving it. And there are sharks swimming around her. So I look over at her. She's, she's happy. I kind of, you know, I'm like, this could go wrong. Uh, so I look, and I don't want to freak her out because we're on a, you know, it's a shaky kayak. I don't want to freak her out. I don't want to cause her to panic. So I look at her, and I just calmly say, hey, Chelsea, we're going to turn around now. We're going to go. I'm not lying. You can ask Chelsea. This is really how I said it. We're going we're gonna to head back to the house. I think that's a good idea. Also, there are sharks swimming around you. <laughs> and she looks at me like, what? Like, how could you not tell me there are sharks swimming? And all of a sudden, I can just see, and like, she starts to breathe heavily. She starts to get like nervous because there's danger. I mean, there are sharks. We don't know what kind of sharks they are, but I would assume great white sharks. And they are <laughs> swimming around, and she is freaking out. So we kind of turn that little kayak around very slowly and very cautiously so she doesn't do a little Eskimo roll underneath. Uh, and then we slowly make our way back to that pier. And then I have my own experience of anxiety as we're swimming back because I'm thinking about, man, I think I did something wrong here and I wonder what she will say to me later. Uh, so we're all feeling a bit anxious. I give that story because I think it's actually, although maybe you haven't had the same experience of being in a kayak with short, sharks swimming around you, you have felt fear. You have felt anxiety. You felt the heaviness of breath. You felt the like concern, what if I fall into the water, right? You felt that kind of feeling. All that to say, that feeling of anxiousness and anxiety is not an unfamiliar feeling for us. Anxiety in that form is familiar. But listen, there are times when we feel those kinds of things, and yet there aren't sharks swimming around our kayak, right? To breathe, right? You see, you feel a heaviness on your chest. You feel a sense of dread or a, a feeling of intense fear. And for many, anxiety manifests maybe a little, a little calmer, a little more under the surface. It looks like a distracted mind and heart, uh, a feeling or a behavior even of isolation, like let me pull myself away, I feel nervous. You start to feel like there's no way out, that you're trapped in your circumstances, that this moment right here or even just life has got me trapped. You start to uh, uh, feel like there's no kind of future that isn't negative. There's no outcome that isn't gonna be bad. Not to mention the random physiological issues that are associated with long-term sustained stress, like headaches or loss of sleep or weight loss or weight gain. Man, TMJ, where, you're, where your uh, jaw's all janky, a bunch of other stuff you don't want to experience. That's what anxiety does. It wrecks us, right? Well, listen, there's a bit of an anxiety epidemic in America even. A lot of research on this topic, just do a quick Google search and you can find it, is that Americans are anxious people. Now, anxiety can, we'll get into this in a minute, can cause us to be fruitful. We can actually get a lot done with some anxiety and some stress. So Americans get a lot done, but we're anxious the entire time. But this past year has been worse on everyone. 
An American Psychiatric Association poll released just this past fall stated that, quote, 62% of Americans feel more anxious than they did at this time last year. Listen, that doesn't mean that 62% of Americans are anxious. It only means 62% are more anxious than they were. I'd argue that the actual number of people who struggle with anxiety is much higher. Now, I wanna be cautious as I describe a passage on anxiety that I don't mix all the different forms or causes of anxiety into the same bowl. So let's try to understand. I, I found this helpful sort of uh, paradigm from a guy named Joe that informs it and the different sort of uh, steps or the uh, uh, things that cause anxiety. The first type of anxiety is a God-given response to actual danger, right? This is Chelsea in the kayak with sharks swimming around her. That is amen for that anxiety right there. That is gonna keep her safe. Uh, and a helpful caveat is we could say fear is danger right now, anxiety is impending danger. So Chelsea felt fear, I felt anxiety as I'm going back to the house and nervous about what conversation is gonna happen later. Does that make sense? So the God-given response to actual danger, that's, that would be fear. That's a fine form of anxiousness or anxiety or fear. The second form of anxiety would be a disordered physiological response. We might call this clinical anxiety. You see, we live under the effects of the fall. The world is not the way God intended it. And so our bodies do not interact with it perfectly either. And so some of us might struggle with what's called clinical anxiety. It might be caused by a chemical imbalance or could be caused by uh, sustained trauma or even moments of trauma. That's not sinful. It's not wrong. That's what happens in the midst of a broken world. We experience anxiety from that. The third form of anxiety is a natural consequence of sinful behavior. You have a conversation with someone who spent years doing meth, they'd be the first to tell you that it causes anxiety. You have hallucinatory uh, experiences even after getting off of meth. So the sinful action then caused a response of anxiety. The, the response is not sinful, that's what, ha what happens. It's a consequence. Uh, so that's the third kind of form of anxiety. To a sinful response that this passage is speaking to. This passage is speaking to a sinful response to God's providence. It's an anxiety about God's ability to provide, protect, or care for us. See, a description of what that form of anxiety is, Kevin DeYoung said, uh, anxiety of thinking, although I think sometimes that is the case for us, it can also look like, my counselor helped point this out, it can look like planning, a sort of if this, then that type of thinking, that you feel this need to come up with all of the contingencies, all the possible outcomes. It's actually a manifestation of anxiety. Put simply, this form of anxiety is worry. Worry. And in fact, the NIV translation interprets it as worry. I think it was, it was probably more accurate and helpful and honestly, a lot of us are a worried bunch. So anxiety in this form is what Jesus is talking about in the passage, and he tells us to stop. He says, stop worrying. Stop having anxiety. Now, if you're anything like me, you're asking the very simple question, well, how do I just stop being anxious, Jesus? 
I can't just will myself into not having anxiety. Listen, I can, I can relate with the symptoms. I see it in my life, but how do I just not do that all of a sudden? It gives me anxiety even thinking about it, right? Here's the key. Worry is not a problem with you. It's a problem you have with God. Worry is not a problem with you. It's a problem you have with God. That was a hard statement. So now let me spend the rest of my time with you explaining what I mean. First, we're gonna look at what Jesus says that we're anxious about. And then we're gonna attempt to diagnose why we're anxious even. And then we'll be able to see how we deal with our anxiety. So keep your Bibles open. We're gonna be jumping around the text uh, a bit. So first, we're gonna start with what are we anxious about? In context, especially since it's been a month since we were there, prior to this text in chapter six, Jesus is talking to everyone through his Sermon on the Mount that, listen, hey, focusing your life solely on building wealth is like serving the God of money. And Jesus says, no, you can't serve two masters. You gotta lay that thing down. You gotta find your treasure in the Lord. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus was diagnosing those of us whose treasure, our value, our worship is misplaced in wealth. So then verse 25 happens and he says, so therefore, do not be anxious. So Jesus is now transitioning to say, don't even misplace your worship on basic essentials of life. Don't let what you eat, drink, or what you wear consume you either. So Jesus is just saying the whole thing, whether it's wealth or it's basic needs, none of it is gonna consume all of your worship, your value, and your life. So then verse 25, let's read it out loud. It says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food in the body more than clothing. Why does Jesus bring up these three things? Why these three things of all of the things? What's significant about them? Well, first of all, eating, drinking, and clothing are all necessary components of life. They are all essentials, meaning they're needed for just everyday living. And what Jesus is saying is don't be anxious about this life, just normal life things. And in some ways, it's a greater to lesser argument. Listen, he, he just finished saying, don't center your life on building treasure on this earth. And then he says, don't even be anxious about basic essentials. Jesus is saying, do not be anxious. Three times in this passage, clearly he wants us to stop worrying. But listen, we have all experienced anxiety around basic needs or wants in our life. Some of you here right now are feeling intense levels of anxiety, check to paycheck, a roof over your head, paying the mortgage, paying the rent. You, you might feel anxious about your job security. Like, I mean, we all got to make some money, right? COVID has certainly thrown a wrench in that for a whole bunch of people. You might feel intense anxiety around job security. You might feel anxiety around trying to find a spouse. It's a good thing. You want to be able to find a spouse that you might marry. Maybe you got pressure from your folks. 
They're asking that question every time you see them. You met anyone yet? Or you're struggling with loneliness. You feel anxious because you know it's a struggle being lonely. Your prospects feel slim. Maybe you're anxious about how your kids are gonna turn out. Either your parenting mess is, is gonna mess them up or uh, their own personality is, right? You feel anxious about it. Like, I'm either gonna screw you up or you're just already screwed up. <laughs> you can feel anxious about that. What about the anxiety that comes from getting a rough diagnosis at the doctor? It's an intense level of anxiety, maybe for a family member. Or maybe even worse, you got some anxiety because you got a symptom and no doctor can figure it out. And so now you are planning if this, then that kind of thinking. I gotta Google everything. I gotta figure this out. It's anxiety. What about the anxiety you can feel when there's relational conflict in your life? There's tension in the marriage, in the friendship. You feel anxiety even being with the person. I want you to do some reflection right now, right where you are. What is it that worries you? What, what is giving you anxiety right now? What keeps consuming your conversations and makes you feel like you need to process? Just got another night of processing together. Who can say one thing to you and your whole week is consumed by it? It's probably where your anxiety lies. What thing has the ability to wake you up in the middle of the night and then keep and your mind go blank? There's probably some anxiety there. Is it finances, relationships, health, housing, your current job or your future one? Is it being known by other people, being forgotten by them, not needed? Is it being rejected, being controlled, manipulated, being a failure? What gives you anxiety? Listen, I'd never, I would never say I struggled with anxiety until this year. In fact, I probably had a little bit of judgmentalism towards people who did, because I thought they were weak, honestly. I just always felt like I was tougher. I could deal with it, I could tough it out. I have more perseverance than the next person. I always wanted to be strong as an idol. Man, I threw my back out yesterday, and I feel like I can't do anything. And I, I'm like, what is, I can, do, I can do anything. I went skate, I tried to go skateboarding with my neighbor. What is that? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Well, somewhere around like January, February, we had an extended, uh, extended family sort of crisis. And uh, my family was sort of just brought into it. Um, and it was incredibly heavy and stressful. And some of the, the idols that I have, like I have a, a need for control. I also don't like it when people are trying to get me to do things, all that kind of stuff. I don't like, out of, I don't like things I can't pin down. And it was so stressful. And then throw on top of that, like a month later, maybe, uh, the COVID lockdown in March. And so now I'm just feeling like so many variables in my life I can't control. I have no insight into the future. And I'm just in the thick of it. My job on top of that changes overnight. I go from being a worse... <laughs> I had an honest-to-goodness in about May. I had an honest-to-goodness mental breakdown. I remember it well. We were sitting outside in my backyard, sitting there, my whole, my whole family sitting around the table. We're having, we just like, you know, had a little barbecue sitting there. 
And I don't remember exactly what was happening. I'm assuming Chelsea was talking and I was listening. And uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's like I was not even there. It's just like the shell of me is there. And then real me is just like back here somewhere. It's just, or it's halfway out the door. And I couldn't breathe. I felt like this sense of dread that there was nothing I could do and I needed to run away. And I just started to break down crying. My two-year-old daughter, who's about as empathetic as they come, goes, are you okay? Are you okay, daddy? Are you okay? And I was like, I gotta go. And I just walked up, I went in the house and just started break, just sobbing in my room. Uh, that's very inordinate for me. By God's grace, in May, I jumped into counseling by God's uh, goodness. I had actually already been trying to pursue that. I jumped into counseling, and one of the first meetings, he asked me if I had ever experienced anxiety before. And I was like, what? I'm not even experiencing anxiety now. I was having panic attacks. And I'm like, this is where I was at. The stressful circumstances honestly did not stop. It continued. If anything, they got worse throughout the year. Uh, but it was walking through that experience of anxiety and starting to name it and be willing to name it that I ended up finding enormous healing and growth in Christ during that season. But I'm actually still struggling with it to be vulnerable. I just still wrestle with anxiety. It's like a very unfamiliar emotion. I don't know what to do with it at times. It was always there. And now he won't let me bury it anymore. See, the Lord has freed me to not feel like I need to fix all the problems. That I don't gotta resist the people who I feel like are trying to control me. See, the sweetest grace that God has given me is that he's, been, uh, he's shown me this whole time that I was carrying anxiety and then I can let that go before the Lord. I can trust him. The reason I share all of that is because I think there are some in the room who are like me. You don't think you struggle with anxiety. I think many of us do more than we think we do. I think we have anxieties at the very least. You have things that come up that worry you, that concern you, and it actually absorbs more of your life than you're willing to admit. Now, right here, right now, there might be some hard issues in your life, like money, job security, health, right? There might be some soft issues as well, like rejection, failure, grief, conflict. What gives you anxiety right now? Right now, as you sit in that chair and you reflect, what is the Spirit saying to you? What's giving you anxiety? I want you to have it in your mind because we're gonna swing back to it a little bit later. So if that's what causes anxiety or that's what is giving us anxiety, why? Why are we anxious? Well, Jesus gives us the answer pretty clearly in verse 30. Let's read it. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? It's a disordered belief. Let me explain. He frames this whole issue around the notion of faith. What we believe, I think, determines everything. I know this sounds like I'm just saying to you, if you're worried, just trust God more. Generally speaking, that's actually what God is saying to you through this text. But 
Unlike that overgeneralized statement, Jesus, I think, helps us to see the root of our worry a lot clearer. Verse 25, let's go back to that. It gives us a few different examples of our disordered belief and how it manifests. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Here's the first disordered belief. It's that we believe that life, this life, is the chief concern. Some of us, a good portion of life is actually food. Your extended family, I know mine is, is completely built around meals together, right? But Jesus is saying something that's so much deeper than just a a comment about food preoccupation. He's thinking of the categories of food, drink, and clothing because they're basic essentials in life. We already talked about that. But listen, we mistakenly believe that life is not more than these basic essentials. We can so easily be fooled into believing that this life is the most important part and not the life to come. See, verse 33 then goes on to say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying that this life is not primarily about earthly concerns. It's so much more than that. I was recently listening to Tim Keller get interviewed and for those of you who don't know, he was diagnosed with a pretty serious form of cancer. He's, He's an older guy. He's walking through, man, death might be coming soon. And he was being asked to reflect on his experience of suffering with that cancer. And uh, he said that it's shined a light on his earthly preoccupation, him and his wife, and said that they realized that they spent so, forgot that this earth can only ever be a taste of heaven. You know, trying to find the best vacation spot, trying to find the best restaurant, the best food, the perfect sunset. Those are all good things, but when that's the thing you're chasing, it's going to come up short. You see, we become so anxious and so worried and so consumed when we believe the lie that this life basically is it and that there's nothing else. The second disordered belief, the second thing that Jesus draws out for us is in verse 27. He says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. I love how obvious this question is. Jesus is basically saying, you got a belief that your anxiety actually fixes the problem, that it actually does something. And who in their right mind would like hear that from Jesus and then be like, no, 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 no. It definitely has helped. (laughs) No, you're not gonna say that. Listen, we at least functionally can believe that we are helping the problem through obsessing over it. But why? It's because we mistakenly believe that worrying solves the issue, that we convince ourselves that it's at least doing some good. And maybe growing up in your chaotic home life, your uncertain financial state, or with your emotionally abusive parent or spouse, you've learned that worrying helps you problem solve or think ahead or dodge the real trap. And first of all, Listen to me, if you've spent time in some of those types of contexts, know that the layers of the onion don't come off easily. You might need someone else like a mentor, a biblical counselor, a licensed professional counselor to be able to weigh in on some of those heavy and traumatic 
circumstances. However, just because you've come to believe that you can fix the problem when you leverage your anxiety does not mean that you should. Listen, Jesus doesn't say to you, be carefree about your problems. He just questions the effectiveness of anxiety in dealing with them, which really leads Jesus to his next disordered belief about why we are anxious, which comes up uh, in, th- in the three different examples. Verse uh, 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Or in verse 28 and 29, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, talking about the lilies. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Your heavenly father feeds them. The lilies are arrayed like Solomon. God clothes the grass. What's the disordered belief here? It's the belief that you're in control, that you handle the whole thing. One of our biggest struggles with anxiety, I know it's mine, comes from a mistaken belief that we are in control. Jesus tells us to look at the birds And he says that the same heavenly father that I told you to pray to, give us this, our daily bread, he feeds them. Not you. You don't feed the birds. Maybe you do. But you don't feed all of them. (laughs) You need a new hobby if you do. You aren't supplying food for every bird in the sky. That's not you. That's not your job. That's his. He tells us to consider the lilies of the field. Listen, if you watered the heck out of some lily seeds in your hipster community garden, Those things are not gonna be that gorgeous. They're gonna be adorned in some goodwill reruns if you do it. But God is the one who takes care of the flowers of the field. He's the one who plants them and waters them and causes them to grow. Even if you mow your grass all crosshatch like your neighbor down the street that you kinda don't like, even if you fertilize the heck out of it, it is not gonna look as pretty as when the Lord tends the grass Listen, one of the biggest causes of anxiety in our lives is our false belief. Control of our relationships or other people in control of life's circumstances. That's not to say you aren't responsible for your actions within those things, but you certainly aren't the one who has total control. And that's good news. Listen, as as soon as we slip into the belief that we can control outcomes, We slip into idolatry, and it's not long before you hear the words, did God really say? And in an effort to be like God, we'll take and we'll eat and we'll reject our need for God. So what do these false beliefs demonstrate? They demonstrate a lack of faith, more specifically, a lack of trust. Put simply, when we are knee-deep in worry and anxiety in the form that this passage is speaking to, It's because we don't trust God with the outcomes, with our problems or even the basic needs in our life. We don't trust that he's really gonna do it. And I think it's, you know, all of our anxiety and worry, which I do believe flow out of disordered beliefs, 
they can't be solved by simply willing ourselves into trusting God more, right? I, I mentioned that earlier. That's why offering that overly simplistic phrase, just trust God more, feels so hollow and not helpful. It, it doesn't ultimately work to quell the anxiety. It's like saying, here's the key without telling someone where the lock is. I think Jesus gives us the key and then he shows us where the lock is. Because listen, do we doubt his ability to provide? I actually don't think so. I think that we doubt his ability or his desire to provide for me. Verse 26, Jesus says, look at the birds. Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do you realize how valuable you are to the Lord? Not just corporately, like in a Genesis one, he created all things and it wasn't good yet. And then he created man and female in his image. And then he proclaimed it all as very good. The sort of capstone to his creation. He values mankind, but I mean specifically like to you. Do you believe and know that he values you? That's just one verse in Matthew chapter three, verse 17. It's the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is getting baptized, the heavens open, and the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen, last week, I believe it was, we just heard about our identity as sons and daughters in Christ. When, when the Father says that about Jesus, it's his Son with whom I'm well pleased, that is true of you through Christ. Or think about Revelation chapter one, verse five, when it says, Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Sometimes our lack of trust in the Lord is because there's a padlock hanging around our value to the Lord. But scripture says you are valuable to the Lord. So of course he would provide for you. Secondly, Jesus says, consider the lilies in verse 28. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He goes on to say, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Think of the beauty of creation. For me, the moment that I always go back to is when you dance in the winter, that mountain, and snowboarders are so lame because we've got to sit on the ground and you put your foot in the boot. And while you're sitting there, making a fool of yourself, you can look out on the mountains. You can look out on this gorgeous view, the cold air in my lungs, so refreshing to me. And I just think to myself, man, the God who made all of that, all of that, demonstrated his love for me by sending Jesus to live a righteous life on my behalf, to suffer and die on a cross in my place as a guilty rebel against God. And then he rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father as a mediator for me. 
You see, he chose to show me his grace by waking up my dead heart, and he offered me salvation through faith in him so that I could then join with the prophet Isaiah in chapter 61, verse 10, in saying, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with his garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. The Lord doesn't just clothe you, he readies you for glory. Verse 31 gives us yet another reason to trust the Lord. It says, therefore do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, eating, drinking, clothing, basic needs in life, and he promises to provide them for you, for you to live. Now you might be saying, well, what about Christian martyrs? What about Christians who have died of hunger or thirst or hypothermia? I thought the Lord was gonna provide all of that. But the fact of the matter is, he doesn't always will us to live. The Lord does not promise long life or a lack of suffering. Verse 34 at the end of the text says, sufficient for the day are its own troubles. Jesus is acknowledging that you live in a world of trouble. But he does promise that while you're in it, he will provide. And when, in his timing, he wants you to experience the beauty of no trouble, no pain, no suffering, no issues, he will bring you home to be with him in glory in a kingdom of beauty that has no end. Which is why, in verse 33, he calls us to seek his kingdom. See, our greatest anxiety is not finances or food or clothing or any other worry in this life, although it might feel like it is. Our greatest anxiety really actually is death. The worry over where will I spend eternity or what will be God's judgment of me when I stand before his throne in the last day? Did I really have enough faith to be saved? Those anxieties are fully answered in Jesus. Romans 10, chapter nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simply by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and risen from the dead, you are saved. You're saved. And on the last day, you will stand before God's throne and everything you have ever done will be laid bare. And yet, because of your faith in Jesus, the punishment is paid for and the judge renders you forgiven of your debt, judged now as righteous, and you will spend an eternity with the moment to remember that Jesus said here, take, eat. This is my body and blood that was offered for your redemption so that you would be clothed in righteousness, the ultimate provision. When Jesus says to us, seek first the kingdom of God, he's showing you that the gospel says, you're here on earth temporarily, but you'll be in eternity forever, so orient your heart that way. 
But listen, for some of you here, you're not really processing where will I go when I die? Like when I said that's our greatest anxiety, you shrugged me off and you checked out for a bit. Well, I want to just ask you to check back in because you're probably just like so many of us thinking of the anxieties here and now, but here's what I would ask of you. Christianity presents a God who caused the universe to exist and he caused us to exist and is also at the same time intimately aware of our everyday needs. That's who God is. Not only that, but the Bible says he's even sympathetic to our suffering. Jesus, who is God, became a man and had every opportunity to be anxious or to worry as we did or do, but he didn't. The question I'd ask of you is what other worldview or religion has nearly the same degree of self-sacrifice, concern for others, and a genuine life-giving love from their deity? Christianity would say, we re- we, the reason we all as humans even care about those things in the first place is because we are created by a God who is made of those things, who is by nature loving, self-giving, generous, and caring. And nowhere else is there a clearer picture of this than in Jesus. So rather than taking communion this morning, if you don't trust Christ as your Lord, And I'd encourage you to reflect on the person of Jesus. Who is the full embodiment of this providing, loving, caring? I want you to take a moment and to lay down your anxieties before him right now. Trust that he values you more than you could ever imagine. And he wants you to know that that anxiety is holding you back from enjoying the life-giving peace that comes from trusting God. Trusting God to be who he is and who he said he is. That he is in control and he is good. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you this morning, Lord, with the broken mess of our lives. Lord, laying our anxieties at your feet. Lord, there are so many things that we could be anxious about and frequently are anxious about. And Jesus, we know what you have said here. And Lord, you invite us to trust you, that you trust, that you, uh, you provide, that you're good, that you value us, that you love us. But Lord, our faith is weak. It's so hard to believe that. So Jesus, I pray right now that you would grant us the gift of your Holy Spirit working within us to stir up within us a belief, a trust that, Lord, you have a plan, you hold the future in your hands. Father, I pray that that you would deepen our trust in you, deepen our love for you, deepen our just joy in you. So when Philippians 4 says that we would be given a peace that surpasses all understanding, I pray, Lord, Lord, we would experience that. Father, I pray that right now as we participate in communion, as we sing and worship you, God, I pray that that would be an encouragement for our souls right now. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can take communion when you're ready.